And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined today by James Moore and special guest Michael Cox. You may know him as Zonal Marking. We're here to talk about Tottenham's defeat to Liverpool last night in the Premier League. James looked pretty bad, to be honest, on TV. I didn't enjoy watching Spurs. I thought the first half was okay. The second half was terrible. Uh, how, do you, how are you feeling? Uh, yeah, uh, not, not especially great, to be honest. What was that? What was that Sven-Goran Eriksson maxim? First half good, second half not so good. I mean, it was kind of yeah, uh, like, like a sort of watered-down version of that, really, wasn't it? The first half, sort of just about fine. Second half... I mean, just an absolute bin fire. It was, it was, it was a terrible performance. I don't, I don't think there's much you could really take from that second half. Um, I mean, it feels like quite good timing to have Michael on actually, because uh, I was utterly bewildered by the tactics in that game. Um, you know, we've talked at length over the last couple of months about Mourinho's system for uh, for facing the top sides. You know, the idea that he has a, what is effectively a back six when Sissoko and Hoiberg drop in. Um, and it has worked, you know. I know there's been a bit of grumbling about how how Spurs have um, gone into those matches from, I guess, people who don't really have have results uh, at the forefront of their mind. But but you can, I don't think you can argue that that's worked. You know, they beat Manchester City, they beat Arsenal, they beat uh, uh, <laughs> they beat anyone else. They drew with Chelsea, um, and they played quite well at Anfield. So yeah. Um, to, to kind of venture away from that system on the basis of, of a different system having worked against Sheffield United who, with all due respect, at the time were bottom of the league with, I think, five points from 18 games, I think it would have been. It, do, it does seem a bit odd to me. I mean, and I know they played well in that Sheffield United game and, and it looked like they were kind of progressing the ball forward far better. They played a, flat, a kind of far more fluid brand of attacking football in that game. But... I don't think like Liverpool in the next game is the one to kind of stick with that. Surely you revert back to the tried and trusted system for that kind of game. I don't think anyone would have had any objection to that. And all those players were available bar, bar Reggion, who actually didn't play at Anfield anyway. So I, I don't really see, I don't really understand what, what the thinking was there. That seemed to kind of, I mean, Doherty, who actually I didn't realise had played at left wing back a few times for Wolves before actually, like in Europe last season. I mean, he looked so uncomfortable there. And it does seem a bit of a stretch to put a right back who was who has really struggled playing in his first choice position or sort of second choice position, I guess, because you know I know we think he's actually a wing back, really. So then ask him to play on the left. <laughs> it seems like it seems like a bit of a stretch. It almost seems a little bit unfair, I think. And he looks so uncomfortable on the ball, especially going forward. I mean, for obvious reasons, he's right footed on the left, unless you're really adept at cutting inside or using the outside of your boot or whatever. Then, then you are going to struggle to to move the ball about, and that that looked like a massive weakness of our system to me. 
that is a really interesting point why he would abandon the 4-3-3 to go to 3-4-3 when the 4-3-3 with one out of Winks and Sissoko in the midfield has as you say James has been integral to Spurs's really good results in these games against big teams this year and then Mourinho decides for whatever reason oh, actually I don't really fancy Winks or Sissoko I'm going to go with neither of them so I can play an extra centre-back, play a 3-4-3, let Ndombele and Hoiberg do everything by themselves in midfield. And yeah, it did work against Sheffield United because they were good enough, but they got totally outnumbered last night. Michael, you're the resident tactics expert. Can you explain explain why Jose might have switched to this 3-4-3? And do you, do you think it was obviously a bad decision as we do? Yeah, I was surprised by it, especially because when the team sheet came out, I was one of those who assumed that was Doherty on the right of midfield. Uh, playing up against Robertson, who I think has been a much bigger attacking threat than Alexander-Arnold this season. My only assumption can be that he he didn't fancy Davies against Salah for some reason. I, I don't really understand what the what the issue with that is. I think Davies played there in the re, in the reverse fixture, didn't he, against Salah? Because, yeah, um, yeah. like you say, Regulon wasn't available. But yeah, that that seemed odd to me, and it did mean that they were outnumbered in midfield. And I'm just surprised he didn't go with the same tactics at, at Anfield, where I thought. I thought Spurs played pretty well in that game. Obviously lost it with a last-minute header, which you know was from a corner. It wasn't really to do with the, the overall formation battle. Yeah, it did surprise me. I, I didn't really understand the logic for that. I guess you can separate the formation from the way that Spurs played, which is, you know, wasn't a surprise. They sat relatively deep, um, which makes sense against Liverpool. They depended on Son's pacing behind, which makes sense against Liverpool. And but for a very marginal offside, they they would have gone one 0 ahead, and then it, it might have been a slightly different game, albeit a game that I think Spurs fans have seen a lot in recent times of an early goal and then you know a pretty negative performance after that. But yeah, it was strange. And then and then when he did switch to the system um, that I think a lot of us were expecting, or broadly that system, then things fell apart. Obviously because the departure of Kane, I think was was crucial in that. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a strange game. I, I, I must say, having watched it, I didn't realize how bad Spurs were until I saw the stats. If that makes sense, yeah, I didn't realize yeah. they'd only had three shots and didn't have a single shot after the Hoiberg goal. I mean, Liverpool were clearly the better side after that, but I was the, the stats sl- uh, slightly surprised me in terms of how toothless Spurs were after that. Yeah, I don't want to get too. I don't want to get too negative. Yeah, like, there's plenty more negativity to come later on, fans. But uh, I. I don't think we should leave like I think we should dig a little bit more into the good stuff in the first half because it wasn't like as you say Michael it wasn't a disastrously bad first half Spurs did Spurs played pretty well I think in glimmers and they very very nearly scored what would have been an excellent goal to go one nil up and you know if they had gone one nil up then who knows what would have happened? And I think a lot of the stuff they did do well in the first half centered around Ndombele, um, who I mean I know I gonna I know I go on about this every week, but I thought he looked fantastic. He did some amazing stuff, kind of one v one up against Thiago. His ability to roll past you know a, a player as good as Thiago, and kind of you know t- to use the phrase that Americans use, his kind of press resistance is fantastic and. Uh, yeah, so I thought that was really, really good. And, you know, it's it's not ine- so it's not inevitable that Spurs were going to lose this game badly. Like, you know, if things had gone slightly differently, then they could have had a good first half. Um, Michael, did you take any... I assume it's like you're kind of not too down on some aspects of the first half performance, even though the second half was bad. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think the first 35, 40 minutes, it was a pretty even game. I completely agree with you on Ndombele. I think against Sadzi Press, he's maybe the best midfielder in the Premier League at that. I just think he's yeah. he's got the, the dribbling ability. He knows how to receive the ball. He can turn either way. He can do it through strength or through a trick. I think there's so many ways he can evade pressure. Um, and I thought it's a shame that he made the mistake for the for the goal that kind of killed it. But I thought Roden was quite good as well. Um, made, made some good tackles yeah. and I thought his positional sense was good. Um, Doherty was it? No, I'm joking. But yeah, there were there were a few um, there were a few positives. Um, and like I say, I've I've enjoyed both the games against Liverpool. And I uh, suppose I've, I've got zero points from them, but. I don't think there's been many games in the Premier League this year between the big sides that have been played at good tempo with largely good technical quality um, and there's been kind of drama and incident and both those games have provided that in a, in a you know, an exciting season but a season that's exciting almost because the games are flat because there isn't that much quality compared to last year or the season before in the Premier League. I think these games have been quite good um, and I think sometimes in certain situations um, you do have to accept that a side like Liverpool have... Great quality. And I thought, I know some people disagree, I thought the first Liverpool goal was really good. I thought the, the the ball to Mane, his chest and his ball across the box, I know it looks silly because Lloris hasn't come and Dyer hasn't cleared it, but I just thought the ball was played perfectly that both players yeah. could reasonably have thought the other one will be having that. And just little things like that, um, I, I think was were tough for Spurs to defend, albeit the next two goals, I think you can ask many more questions. Yeah, I have to admit, watching the uh, watching the Firmino goal live at the time, it, it did look like a it did look like either Dyer or Larice or both had made like a terrible mistake, like a terrible error of judgment, and had basically basically left the ball for each other. But actually, when you watch it from another angle, the way that the ball bends like out then in or in then out, I guess, um, and it just kind of goes through like the perfect the perfect trajectory between the two of them, and I just don't think either of them really would have had much chance of getting there. So I, yeah, I actually having having panned Larice on Twitter uh, and uh, got a bit of stick for it. Actually, I have to hold my hands up and say I got that wrong. But then you know he he did sort of parry the ball quite badly for the second goal. So you know swings around about. Yeah, it, it has got me thinking. Like, how much should we blame the individual defensive errors for? what happened because Mourinho in his press conference afterwards was so so critical of the individual defensive mistakes he says quote it is a performance totally affected by defensive individual mistakes the team was very solid the team was very confident and in the first half we made three defensive mistakes and clearly he he was even pointing to goal like goals that didn't happen like the Firmino handball disallowed goal the the Mane one after about 20-25 minutes that was that Mane didn't score where Lloris saved like look Mourinho clearly wanted to big up just how bad he thought the defending was and blame the the defenders for their errors for letting Liverpool in and you know this is not a new theme with Mourinho after the Fulham won all game a few weeks ago he was complaining along similar lines after that saying you know there are things that have to be with the characteristics of the players that is to say you know the defenders aren't good enough they keep making mistakes it's not my fault what do we think about this, James? Is that is he is it unfair that he's hammering the defenders like this? Is it uh, is it just is it fair enough because you know these guys are making mistakes and it's not Mourinho's fault? I mean, there are two sides to that, aren't there? There's whether it's fair to criticise defenders for making mistakes and whether it's fair to say that's the reason they lost the game. And you know, as Michael was saying before, they didn't have a shot after the 
uh, Hoiberg goal and what was it, like 48 minutes or whatever it was. So I think to suggest that they lost the game entirely because of defensive mistakes is a little bit a little bit unreasonable <laughs> given they, they were poor going forward as well. Um, you know, if it had been like, you know, the game, the game at Anfield where Spurs kind of sat in, kept it tight, were compact, tried to play on the counter-attack and created a few chances on the counter-attack, obviously the Son goal in the first half of that game and also a couple of chances in the first maybe 10, 15 minutes of the second half up there. And then they had lost to a defensive mistake in a game like that. Then you could kind of say that maybe that's kind of fair enough. But in a game like this where they created uh, almost literally next to nothing, I don't really think... I don't really think that's a reasonable assessment of what happened. Yeah. Coxie, what do you reckon? Are you, are you a guy to blame the individual mistakes or do you see more of a sort of collective and tact- or tactical issue? Yeah, I pretty much agree with what, what James says. I think the two issues there are, even if it is fair and even it is a, a reasonable analysis to blame the individual mistakes, is that what a manager should be doing? You know, Mourinho's not a pundit for this. He's not on... Uh, the view for the lame podcast. He's the manager. What he says about the players, yeah. yeah. I mean, what he what he says about the players does have an impact on their mentality. And I think, I mean, Mourinho obviously is a very experienced manager, and I think generally quite a good man manager with individuals. I know there's been a couple of instances at his last couple of jobs, but it seems like managers can do that less these days. I mean, we saw with with Lampard was doing a similar thing, was constantly blaming the players, and eventually it seemed that uh, you know some of the players maybe turned against him. So it would worry me slightly because, yeah, the second and third goals is is bad defending. There's there's no question about that. But I don't think you can say it that that bluntly, even if it is a fair analysis of the situation, which I think it was. I think it's more complex. Managing your your squad is more complex than that. Well, he made a point in in the press conference of sort of, you know, he acknowledged that Rosen had made a mistake, but he kind of defended him and said, you know, he's a young player. He will make mistakes. He played well. I don't blame him for, for us losing the game. So it's like he's discounting that mistake on that goal. And I'm not suggesting you should like man-manage uh, Joe Rodin in the same way you would man-manage like uh, Dyer or you know, like another experienced player. Obviously, there are differences there. But if you're saying you lost the game because of individual mistakes in one breath and then saying, well, not this one though, that doesn't, that doesn't really count. I don't, I don't really see... It's sort of like a lack of consistency there. Yeah, yeah, totally. I just think it's... Obviously, it's true in the sense that the defense, the defense are making a lot of mistakes. At the same time, they're not making mistakes in a they're not making mistakes out of choice, and they're not making mistakes in a vacuum. Like they're making mistakes in a system in which they're put under quite a lot of pressure. I think to do an awful lot of defending, and they're not going to get everything perfect. But what what I'd also say is, I know clearly Mourinho. So last night in the press conference, Mourinho was asked by Matt Law of the Telegraph if he thinks the defenders aren't good enough. And Mourinho said, oh, I can't say that. I can't say that. Only you can say that. So, I mean, clearly he thinks the defenders are not good enough. But they're not terrible, these guys. Like, Alderweireld has been one of the best defenders in the Premier League over the last 10 years. Eric Dyer's first choice for England. Davinson Sanchez, they paid a lot of money to Ajax for. Joe Rodin is one of the best young defenders in the country. Like, you know, it's this is not a bad set of centre backs for him to have access to, and for him to be been coaching for the last fourteen months. Um, and you know, I kind of feel like it's he, he bears some responsibility. Like he should get them to play better. But also, they, those are defenders who have played well, largely defenders who have played well in Mourinho's system when when he, when yeah, he played yeah. that, that other <laughs> system before Christmas in games against similar teams. So it's not you know we've seen them keep clean sheets against. Teams like you know teams of incredible attacking players like Manchester City and Arsenal and Chelsea. Uh, 
yeah, and it's just almost kind of it's like he's thrown that out of the window. His own achievement, he's thrown under the, out of the window, uh, just to kind of dig the players out in a press conference two months later. I don't, I don't really understand the logic of that. Yeah, I kind of feel like I wonder if in part it's because he always needs he needs something to rail against basically when things are going wrong, and uh, he obviously can't blame you know Kane and Son are playing have been playing brilliantly, and frankly Hoiberg and Dombele are playing really well. And so, you know, who else is, who else is there left? Well, that might have been his last chance to blame something on Deli Ali, depending on what happens between now and Tuesday. So <laughs> that, he should have got stuck into him again, presumably. Why not? Yeah, yeah, he should, m- m- maybe. Um, so after, obviously Spurs conceded their early goal, and then at half-time, uh, there was an incident in the dressing room. This is something that has been, you know, there's quite a lot of reports going on around this. We've heard from sources that there was an incident involving Serge Aurier uh, at half time. Obviously, Aurier was withdrawn at half time uh, as part of the double substitution, which also saw Harry Kane go off for different reasons. We will report more on this when we get it. Uh, but the second half was a very different place. Um, Spurs made, Mourinho made the double change. 3-4-3 went out. In came a sort of 4-2-3-1 with Ndombele pushed up as a number 10. Uh, Winksy sitting in alongside Hoiberg. Uh, Lamella tucked in as a kind of inside right of midfield. Son playing as a centre forward. And it was awful, James. Like, let's be honest. It was the sec- that second half was really, really bad. And Spurs, I know they scored a goal, but they created nothing. When I saw Lamella was coming on for Kane... I, I kind of thought that did seem odd, but then you think like Lamella is kind of reasonably adept at like slipping those through balls in behind, and I just thought that that might just be like the next the next best thing they've got to Kane's like kind of playmaking is having someone like Lamella at number ten just trying to slot balls through to Son for the second half and just kind of see if that works out. Um, but yeah, that wasn't very played at all, and that the wink substitution. I mean, I, I, you know. Obviously, there was an issue with with Ori at half time, and they they had to change that. Um, the chronology of what happened there, we don't we don't know yet. Although I guess maybe by the time this comes out, maybe we will. But yeah, it it did seem an odd an odd substitution. Won't like we've we talked about how well they've done with Sissoko and Hoiberg in midfield against against the, the top sides. Um, and you know, obviously, they're only one 0 down at that point, having mostly played okay. Uh, it did seem odd to not put Sissoko on rather than Winks to me. Yeah. I mean, that's like your best bet of replicating that system, I think, is to put, you know, if you're going to put Doherty over to right back and have Davies at left back now and go to a four, then put Sissoko on next to Hoiberg and Dombele ahead and kind of, yeah, bring on Lamella as Kane and just kind of hope for the best. And obviously we know it's not as good, but see what happens. Um, it is a pretty damning indictment of Vinicius that he didn't come on, isn't it, I'd say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not great. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Michael, what what did you reckon of that four two three one setup? What did you think they were trying to do? Did you see any anything to be positive about, or was it just negativity? Um, I didn't really see any positives. I must say, I kind of got the I kind of got the idea of bringing on Winks. I think just to you know they've been outnumbered in that zone. I just think trying to get hold of the ball a bit in midfield maybe was was the intention for the second half. But yeah, I can't I can't really point to anything in the second half that went well for Tottenham. Like you say, they scored a goal, but that was not a a chance was it that was just a, a brilliant strike from Hoiberg aside from that it was it was very flat and uh yeah no positives from the second half that I can see yeah I can't even remember any attacks like normally you'd expect in the second half of a game like that where you're well 2-1 down and then it goes to 3-1 and you're playing at home against another really good team you'd kind of expect to see the team just putting something together even if it's a bit scrappy and misdirected I can't really remember anything at all like I can't really remember I don't know if that's because Son doesn't really hold the ball up. Like We know that Mourinho has a slightly different view about Son as a number nine compared to Pochettino, who was much more willing, I think, to play Son through the middle. But I can't. I remember the one or two times where like Ndombele would get on the ball and try and play a one-two and drive forward and then wouldn't get the ball back, or the ball would go out to Lamella and there'd be a few runners beyond him and then Lamella would lose it or get tackled by a Liverpool midfielder and then Liverpool would break. I just thought that it was just a lot of nothing, basically, that second half. And I know, of course, like teams can, you know, teams lose games in all sorts of different circumstances, and not every defeat should be a disaster. But there was just something about that lack of the lack of direction that second half, James, that made me really depressed. I just watched that and thought, I watched it and thought, this is really bad. I mean, I know this is quite a simplistic way of looking at it. But there, was, there wasn't like a focal point for the attack, was there? And, and even when Kane is kind of dropping off and not like playing as a kind of all-out number nine, like an advanced forward, he's still the focal point, isn't he? He's still the player you're going to yeah. put the ball to because he can control it and bring other players in. But without without him, and with what, it kind of felt like quite a fluid attack of I'm not entirely sure it was actually supposed to be. It, it, didn't, it didn't really feel like anyone knew where anyone else was at any point. It all kind of just felt like it was a bit chaotic, really. Um yeah, and as you say, there didn't seem to be a plan for how they would score a goal. And that makes you wonder whether the plan is Ndombele to Kane to Son. And if like any one element of that chain is missing, then then they're going to really struggle. I mean, I know that is a thing we've talked about over the course of the season, that they're very good at attacking when particularly Kane and Son are in a team and they can play on the counter-attack. But when they either are unable to counter-attack because the opposition are playing so many players behind the ball or they have loads of possession and it's just not suitable to play like that they really struggle to create good chances um, and we've seen that even in games where they've not actually really played that badly that they struggled to create good chances so it, it would be I mean it goes about saying Kane being missing is a massive problem for Spurs but this season more than ever and I'll probably bring us on to what Michael's written this morning actually it feels like it's probably even more damaging than it has been when he's been out before before we come on to Coxie, the one thing, I just remembered what it reminds me of. It wasn't that long ago. Do you remember when Spurs lost 2-0 to Leicester at home just before Christmas? And in the second half of that game, remember they changed it at half-time and then Ndombele got injured. In the second half, they played a 4-2-4 with Sissoko and Hoiberg in the midfield. And then Lucas, Bale, Son and Kane as the front four. And they just couldn't create. And even though they had this 4-2-4, with Lucas Bale, Son and Kane as the front four, they couldn't create anything at all in the second half because they just couldn't get the ball up to the front players. And 
yesterday did remind me a little bit of that. Like they had like the it wasn't exactly the same individuals involved, but it was a four what could have been quite an attacking four two three one, and they just couldn't get the ball forwards. I think Mourinho's Man United used to look like this at times, where they'd have all these like they'd have like three or four really good attacking players on the pitch in what looked like quite an aggressive formation. You think, yeah, brilliant, like three or four top quality attacking players, and they just couldn't get the ball to them or create any chances. And sometimes this Tottenham team, not all the time, but sometimes this Tottenham team looked like that. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So, Michael, you wrote in a piece which we published on The Athletic on Friday morning about Spurs without Kane in that second half. Um, What did you make of it? Yeah, pretty flat without him, wasn't it? And and I think that's the worrying thing going forward, not just the fact he was absent for 45 minutes, but the fact he could be absent for a few weeks by the sounds of it um, and a very busy month. Well, I guess they're all busy months, but I think nine games over the next calendar month. So there's a few games that he might well be missing. Um, and yeah, there's, I'm not really sure there's an obvious solution to play without him, maybe more than ever because Kane's doing so much more now. I think in previous years you were looking to to replicate the uh, you know the goal scoring ability, someone playing on the highest line of the opposition, maybe going in behind a little bit, um, and now of course what he's done so well is is come deep and link play, and I think it's funny because two years ago when uh, you know Spurs were on the way to to the Champions League final, a lot of people were saying, well actually sometimes Son can be better when Kane's not in the side. There's no way anyone will say that this year because of course so many of his his goals have been supplied by Kane. Uh, and of course, vice versa, the supply line has been very good. So yeah, you, you do worry that losing Kane will not just uh, take away his goals, but take away some of Son go- uh, Son's goals as well. So I think there's going to be a, probably a complete reformatting of the side. And I think that could actually cause, not necessarily cause problems, but I mean, I can imagine Ndombele being moved higher back into that number 10 role, which I think would be a great shame considering, as we mentioned before, how good he's been in that, in that deeper role. But if Mourinho decides that you know, Mourinho is a manager who, who 
he, his sides do depend on individual quality in the final third. He's not really one to work on all the kind of build-up play and passing combinations in the final third. He likes to give his attackers some license and I'm not really sure he trusts any of his other attackers, with the exception of Son, enough to give them some freedom in the final third. Whereas in Dombele, maybe he would. So maybe in Dombele will move into that number 10 role again, which you know probably won't be the approach going forward long term. Um, so I think it could be quite disruptive, this injury. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, Michael. It's uh, Kane is uh, in in the past. I've I have I wrote pieces in my old job when Kane got those injuries in the eighteen nineteen season, saying, "Oh, you know, sometimes Spurs play pretty well without Kane. Like a lot of the other players play much better in Kane's absence. Sonny does better." But you're right; it's just very different now. I think the way that Mourinho sets up the team is everything runs through Kane. Like Kane is much more important to the team now than he was under Pochettino. Even back when he was scoring 30 goals a season, I'd argue that Kane is more integral to how the team plays now than he ever has been before. And that means that, you know, you take him out of the system, then you have to, it's not just you have to replace your best player, you have to find a whole new way of playing. And I do wonder how Spurs are going to create chances without Kane in the team. Uh, I'm sure you're right that Ndombele will move further up the pitch. We've seen Mourinho kind of go back and forth between playing Ndombele in midfield and as a 10 this year. Uh, I think his future, I think with no, you know, obviously Kane is the team's best 10. Take Kane out of the picture. Ndombele, I think, will will play as a 10. With probably Son through the middle. James, is that how you would set it up? Or have you got, would you bring, is there another attacking midfielder in the Tottenham squad who you might like to see? You know who I want in the team. You know who I want in the team. Christian Eriksen back. No, no. Uh, well, we look, we talked before <laughs> about like the solution to Deli Ali's uh, difficulty getting in the side into that system. Uh, and I think the two things we said were either he could become like a number eight or a centre forward. Well, chuck him in up front, see what happens. He played up front really? last up season front? Right, when they were both played, when they, uh, Kane and Son were both out, right? He sort yeah, of it wasn't, did okay. great, it wasn't great, but it was better than Lucas. Um, I mean, it, the, the, real, the real solution should be playing Vinicius, who, you know, having said that they really missed like a focal point to the attack in the second half last night, if if uh, Vinicius brings anything, it's like that that presence. And he's looked quite good when they've kind of bounced balls off him and stuff, hasn't he? He's kind of been quite good at like getting those knockdowns and bringing other people into play. And some of his sort of interplay hasn't been terrible either. So, I, and he's you know, scored a few goals against weaker opposition. I mean, I, I'm not just talking about in the Marine game, but also in the Europa League as well. So uh, it, it does it does really highlight <laughs> how um, maybe short-sighted it's been to not play. Because I think he's played like 23 minutes in the league or something like that. It's something ludicrously small. It, do, it does kind of highlight how uh, maybe a bit short-sighted it was to not, to not play him a bit more in the Premier League. I'm not suggesting he should have been starting games with or without Kane. But, you know... There have been games where maybe he could have come on for the last you know, Leeds or whatever if he'd come on for the last 20 minutes of that game or the Sheffield United game even when he uh, when Mourinho chucked Sanchez on for basically no reason at the end. Like just, just giving Vinicius more minutes in the league it seems to me like it would have been sensible because <laughs> now here we are uh, in a position where you would quite like to have another centre forward who's got a bit of experience, a bit of experience playing in the Premier League and Spurs obviously still haven't got that despite actually signing someone in the summer. Coxie, what have you seen? I completely agree, James. Coxie, have you seen much of uh, Big Vinny? Would you hit hit some long balls to Big Vinny or would you try and work something with Son through the middle instead? Um, I must admit, I haven't seen much of him. Presumably, they've been in the cup games that I, I haven't seen. But um, I, I think I think he's going to be Son up front. 
And I think Erte Mourinho will work on trying to get some combination behind him that can supply some with three balls. Um, maybe Lamella. I know, I know I kind of agree with what James says. In theory, there is something there. I know he hasn't been in the greatest of form or greatest of health in, in the last year or so, but maybe there's something there. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be Son up front. I mean, he's, is he... Is he the top goal scorer in the Premier League at the moment, Son? Yes, Son and Kane have got 12. Some other guys have got more. 14, I think. Okay. Well, it just, I don't know, it just feels to me like Mourinho will go for the the proven Premier League goal scorer rather than someone who who is yet to score in the Premier League. Um, just because I think that's what Mourinho does. I don't think he, he doesn't really take a chance on unproven players, does he? He likes players who he knows what they're going to do. And yeah. while Son is inconsistent, he kind of knows what he's going to get from from him overall for a period of a month or whatever. So I think that's what he'll go with personally. I mean, I think that is the most likely thing, but my only reason to doubt it is that last season when we were in this position, he was basically legging Son for like a month, wasn't he, Jack? He was, he was like constantly saying that he wasn't a striker, even though he needed him to play up front. So rather than like kind of bigging him up and saying he was a capable Premier League goal scorer, he was constantly saying he wasn't a striker. It's really weird. It was weird. That was a very different time, wasn't it, back in... I mean, that was during the transfer window, and I guess March, maybe the point was yeah. to rather than anyone else. Yeah, when they were trying to sign a striker, and you know there was talk of that uh, Willian Jose, who's just shown up at Wolves, um, as an option, but it never happened. Uh, I, yeah, it's to be honest, it's like, if you said before the game, what's the worst thing that could happen to Tottenham right now? The answer is an injury. The answer would have been an injury to Harry Kane. Uh, and that's what Tottenham have got. So, I mean, just looking looking forward through the next set of fixtures, obviously Brighton away on Sunday is a pretty big game. Chelsea at home, Thomas Tuchel. I think it be the first ever Mourinho versus Tuchel matchup. Uh, unless, I don't, think, I don't think they've ever met before. I don't know how interesting that actually is. And then it won't be very long until they've got Everton in the FA Cup, which is another huge game. So they've got to find a way, haven't they? They've got to find a way to create, whether it's Son or Vinicius up front, they've got to find a way to create chances without their main without their main creator. Like we, we had Duncan Alexander on the pod the other week, and he said to us that Spurs are the most dependent on two attacking players that any team has been since Peter Reed Sunderland <laughs> with uh, Niall Quinn and Kevin Phillips scoring 76% of their goals in 1999-2000. And they've lost, and they've lost the, you know, and of Kane and Son, you'd rather lose Son than Kane, I think. Um, so yeah, James. Any you got any reasons to be optimistic? Any anything to, to, to cheer uh, up our our listeners that, going into sorry, the Brighton I'm, game? I'm going to give you another negative, and I know it's not what you've asked for. The thing that really worries me about this Brighton game is they've got this like XG anomaly, uh, whereby they've scored like way lower. And Michael probably know more about this than I do. They've scored way lower uh, a number of goals than they should have done on the basis of XG. I think they're on, on XG. They're kind of uh, like kind of sixth or seventh in the Premier League or something like that, and they just they just really struggle to score goals. And I can just you know, uh, especially given in mind what happened to Spurs at Brighton last season, when obviously they went there uh, in a bad moment and and got absolutely destroyed for Real, and it was the, the uh, nadir of the season really, or the, certainly the first half of the season. Um, yeah, yeah, it's got a horrible feeling about it. Sunday night as well. That's not that weird Strange things happening in that Sunday night slot. It just seems to be. You get odd scores in that. In that, I just, I just have a horrible feeling about it. I know that's not what people want to hear, but mm. that's my vibe. Coxie, cheer us up. Say something positive about Tottenham's fortunes in February. Um, 
<laughs> <laughs> well, like, now, I mean, I think in terms of the Brighton game, James is kind of right about the XG, and I am a I am an XG believer, if you like. But part of the issue is Brighton just their strikers miss chances. I just I just don't think their strikers are very good finishers. I think they're they're very lively. The interplay's great, but I don't trust Mope to score. I don't trust Welbeck to score. Conley's a young lad who probably isn't going to score much at this point. So I do agree with him, but. Um, yeah, I, ju- I just think Brighton, this, this might be a, a fundamental issue with their players rather than um, completely uh, anomaly, as James puts it. Well, there we go. Uh, I think we're all looking forward to seeing how Spurs get on no, against no, Brighton no, on Sunday evening. No, no, James isn't. Well, <laughs> it's going to happen whether you want it to or not, I suppose. Uh, that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Thank you very much, James, producer Tom, and special guest Michael Cox. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Zonal Marking. We will be back again next week to look back on the Brighton game and also talk about the Chelsea game, which is an absolutely massive game for Tottenham next week uh thanks again for listening and for all of your tweets and comments uh keep them coming and we'll just we'll try and get around to some more of your points on next week's show this january you can subscribe to the athletic for a special price enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts for less than one pound per week just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to sign up and enjoy The Athletic throughout 2021. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. The Athletic.